Well, good morning and happy Easter to everybody. Uh, it's good to see you, everybody in your pastels. You're looking good. Uh, if I can take a moment and get away from the niceties, can I just admit something to you? I'm a highly competitive person. I like to win. I don't like to lose. My name should have been Ricky Bobby because I think that winning is just the best. Uh, there are entire slews of board games that my family won't play with me because I'm a winner and they can't stand it. Uh, also, uh, if I lose, I get a little sour. Uh, anybody else in here competitive? You've got like a little competitive streak in you. Okay, it's all right. Let's just admit that. I, I love it when uh, you have the nice people. Maybe you think I'm one of those nice people, uh, but that's different. Uh, I, I love it when there's someone who's super nice and they're sweet as can be until the competitive moment comes out. And it's like, it's on now. And so it's, we're going we're gonna to go after each other. Um, there, there, are, there are things in life that I found that are worse than losing. Uh, recently, uh, we were on quarantine. Somebody in our family had had COVID, and so we were staying at home, and we're sitting around, we're bored as can be, and uh, one of those little sweepstakes things come up, like, hey, punch in the code off the back of this thing, and you will possibly win $1,000. It's like, oh, well, I've got nothing else going on. Let me punch in that code. And so I put in the code, and then I, I, I lost, and I was okay with that because nobody ever wins those things, and I lost. And so it says, sorry, uh, not a winner this time, but if you have a receipt, you can submit that and for another chance to win $1,000. I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so I submitted this receipt for $1,000, and it pops up, instant winner. You are a winner. Ding, ding, ding. Like the lights were going off. I'm like, oh, nobody wins these things. That's awesome. It was great. And I felt good. I felt good about myself. I felt like I was a success, and I felt like a winner uh, for three days because there was a verification process. And three days later, I get an email saying, sorry, Mr. Lofton, under verification, we see that you actually lost without explanation, just like I was a winner. And then I lose it. And I found a, a, a very important lesson that day. Um, they're, they're, winning feels good. I thought losing was the worst it could be, but there's actually something worse than losing. And that is thinking you've won and then lost. Like it just, it just sneaks up on you and the rules changed and I didn't read the fine print. Well, I had nothing going on. I was on quarantine. And so they didn't know how competitive I was and they didn't know how bored I was. And so it became my hobby to know every legal piece of document that was associated with the sweepstakes. I read the fine print. I read the big print. I went to like, you know, like I'm Googling words I don't understand, like the, and we're, we, I get through all of the fine print. I start emailing them. I'm like, well, you know, actually, uh, if you read uh, article 14, part B, solace C, uh, you know, there's this, this, and this. And uh, I got a really sweet customer service representative, sir, uh, we don't run this contest. That's somebody else that runs it. But I'll tell you what, I'll put you in contact with who it should be. And uh, there, there's some argument to be had that I didn't deserve to win, but they weren't quite clear on the rules. And so I felt like I had a really good grounds to, to keep going at it. And eventually, uh, I'm, I'm excited, and I'll announce to you that some people actually win those contests because they're like, Mr. Lofton, you're right. We weren't clear on that. There you go. And so they, they let me win. That was exciting. Uh, it, it's no fun losing. It is a lot of fun winning. I love winning. There's a story uh, in Scripture, and I'm going to be in Luke 15 if you want to follow along in your Bible, where Jesus, like, he, he taps into the inner winner of everybody in the room and, in fact, the inner loser of everybody in the room, and he put this, like, win-loss, like, scenario in place. Um, and, and I really think that it would be good for us uh, collectively at Carpenter's Way those of us in Mid-County who, you know, 
as a community, we're recovering from COVID. And I don't just mean the health ramifications. I mean, we, we miss each other. We miss seeing each other. Uh, when we go out to places, it's like you go to the bank and you're talking to the teller and you spend 20 minutes because it's the first human to human contact you've had in a while because the teller isn't talking to you through Zoom. It's, it's good to be around people. It's bad to lose contact with people and it's great to win in relationships. And so Jesus, he, he's going to tell this story. Um, uh, it's a made-up story. We call that a parable. And anytime Jesus tells a parable in Scripture, this is free for all of you who want to like study the Bible later. If there's a parable, it's an invitation for you to kind of try on each of the characters in the story, like you're trying on a suit at, at the mall or something, to see, like, how does that feel? What, what does it feel like to be in that situation? Do I see myself looking like uh, this person? At the end of what I'm going to read is a familiar story. Most of you, all of you, I, I would imagine, know the story of the prodigal son, or you've heard that phrase, the prodigal son. We're going to be looking at that here in a moment. Um, if you have your Bible, I'm going to be in chapter 15. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And it says, uh, and before this, you should know that Jesus has been saying a lot of things, very Jesus-y things, um, that tended to make uh, the religious people and the churchy people uncomfortable, um, and tended to make those people who are uncomfortable in the church really like to want to hear what Jesus said. Jesus had a very unique way of teaching in that way. And so, and so we begin chapter 15 with all these people who really have no business and probably weren't even welcome in their church, uh, showing up and saying, I want to hear more about what this Jesus has to say. Here's what it says. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. You never hear the Pharisees like, just having a happy day, you know, they're just going along. All the churchy people are grumbling in the New Testament. It says, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let me pause for a second. Jesus is, uh, he's in a place, he's having a, a, a meal, he's enjoying time with people, and, and the guests, all the people in there, they were the, the Bible says, sinners and tax collectors. And we need to be very clear that these are people that they know, nobody likes me. I don't get along with anybody. In fact, they've probably even have put that persona on themselves a minute and said, I know that you don't like me, and so I'm going to kind of turn that up to 12, and like, who cares, whatever. I'm going to act the way I want. I'm going to treat you the way that I want because you're not going to care for me anyway. And that's what the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling about. The churchy people look at them and know these people, uh, they, they don't belong here. We live in a different world because they have tax collectors there. Um, recently, we all love our tax collectors because we keep getting those stimmy checks every now and then, uh, then they didn't have stimulus checks coming out on the tax collectors just robbed them blind all the time. And so you have right here, a group of people that if you were to go around and poll each person and say, okay, what's the current score? The Pharisees and scribes say, I know the fine print. I know the rules. We're winning. All of us over here, we, 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 we're okay. God must love us because we're winning at life. The score, we're winning the game. The, the sinners and tax collectors, they've gotten to the point in life where they look around, they look at the score, and they say, we're losing. This game of life, whatever it is, we're, we're not making it. We're not cutting it out. And in fact, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of even looking at it. I'm tired of even working towards the next thing. Because the Pharisees and scribes have developed a system where it has to be a zero-sum game. If, if you're not a winner, you're a loser. And they've made this 
that way. Maybe, maybe sometimes we feel like that. We, we live in a world, maybe, maybe your culture, the, the one that you grew up in, maybe your family, you're the, you're the outsider, or maybe you have, you know, like the, the, the outsiders over there, and that's the little brother or something, like, golly, that guy. Yeah, I wish he can get his act together. And there's like a, some, some people are winning the game, some people are losing the game. And now Jesus begins telling a parable to these groups of people. This parable, by the way, he tells it in three parts. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the, 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 the framework. The first part is uh, he, he talks about someone losing some sheep. Then he talks about someone losing some coins. And he talks about someone losing a son. But all of them he said in the same time. So we should read them all together. Like try to, try to see who, which, which characters are we going to try on in this story. So verse 3. It says, Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? You know, we'll pause. Any uh, sheep farmers in the room? Any of you? I don't, I don't, I don't know much about raising sheep. Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think it's hard. I, I don't know what they need, really. I, f- I figure if you, you know, feed them and water them like kids, they grow and they, they do okay. Um, if I had 100 sheep, I'd feel pretty good about myself, for one. Uh, but I can tell you another thing. If I had 100 sheep and I'm, I'm counting and like, uh, there's 100, and tomorrow I count, there's 100, and the next day I count, it's like 99. I'm not that good of a shepherd. I'm like, you know what? We'll grow some more sheep later. Like, I, I don't know where that one went off to, but I've got a lot going on. My 99 sheep need me. Uh, and he says this story, and he says, okay, you have 100 sheep, and one of them wanders off. Which one of you isn't going to go and get it? And I guarantee you, everybody in the room is like, not me. I don't know. There's plenty of sheep around here, Jesus. We can just, you know, maybe one will wander in later. Um, like I said, I, I don't know a lot about sheep. I do know this. I've heard that they're not incredibly intelligent creatures. Um, they have, uh, they, they are the predator of nothing. Like they, they have nothing that they can attack and take on. Uh, it, on the playground, uh, the sheep of all the farm animals, the sheep is the one who's just getting bullied all the time. They can't stand up for themselves. They can't do anything. They just wander around uh, and, and just aimlessly go on about their lives. So the question is, how, how does a sheep find itself far away from the flock? How does the one find itself far, far away from the 99? Well, I, I tell you, the, the sheep isn't smart enough to come up with a plan. It's not like the sheep is sitting around thinking, I'm tired of these other 99. I'm making a break for it. I'm going to Hollywood. Like, I'm, I'm going to see what I can do. I'm going to try my career at something. Here's what that sheep did. Oh, piece of grass. Oh, piece of grass. And eventually, it's just like, it's a mile away. It looks around. I don't know where it is, but I'm going to keep eating the grass. And, and Jesus' first parable, he, he looks at them. And he, he, remember, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling. The sinners and the tax collectors have drawn near. And Jesus says, which one of you, you, you lose one of your hundred sheep, doesn't go off and find them. And, and then he keeps going. It says in verse 5, and, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, I don't know how far away a sheep wanders off whenever it's lost. I mean, it's out of eyesight, so I can see, you know, two, three hundred yards out that door. And, and he's saying that the good shepherd is running out there, grabbing the sheep, hoisting on his shoulders, and marching back. Sometimes my dog gets out, and I'll get really ticked off, but it gets three houses down. I'll put a leash on it, and I'll walk back. This guy, he's saying the good, you know, who, who doesn't just grab the sheep, put it on his shoulders, and come marching back home. And he says uh, in verse 6, after he's rejoicing, he says, And when he comes home, 
He calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Come on, guys. Let's all celebrate. I had 100, then I went down to 99, and I've got my 100 back. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And he looks at everybody in the room after he finishes telling this part of the story. And he says, just so I tell you to the scribes, the Pharisees, the sinners, and the tax collectors, those who know, know that they're losing in life and those who you know, think know that they're winning in life. He says, I tell you this, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, and all the scribes and Pharisees are like, I'm the 99. I'm, I didn't need any repentance at all. And the sinners and the tax collectors looked like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? You're telling us, Jesus, that the real way that the world works is that when one of us comes back to you, when one of us comes to the Father, that there's rejoicing? There's not, like, you're not mad at us for walking away? Well, he keeps, he keeps going. He goes straight into another story, doesn't wait for responses. He says in verse 8, he says, Or what woman, uh, having, by the way, uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but it is interesting that in an ancient Middle Eastern text that one of the heroes, one of the characters that Jesus chooses is a woman. Uh, it would always be a man in every other religion. He's, he's kind of elevating the, the place of women in this text, but that's, that's a, an aside. Verse 8, he says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, I know nothing about sheep, but I like having a little bit of extra change in my pocket. Anybody have some money? Like, like you have at least $10 like nearby you can get to in a moment. You, 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 you're going to go to Starbucks later. You got to have at least 10 bucks. That should get you a half a cup of something. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 10 silver coins. Now, if I lose money, I will turn the whole world upside down looking for that money. I will, it, it would be easier for me sometimes to just go get a job, a second job, and raise the money that I've lost than it would be. Because I, I just kind of like that contest. I didn't like the idea of being told I won and then lost. It, it felt to me like someone just took money right out of my hands. I'm like, no, we're going to, we're going to find this. Uh, he, he says 10 silver coins. So this woman has 10 and has lost one. That's a, mathematically, it's a different ratio than the sheep. It was 100 sheep and you lose one who notices? But if you have $10 in your pocket and you count that out and you're down one-tenth of that, 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 you know, I don't know, that makes a little bit more dent. Maybe, maybe it's not earth shattering to you. Um, the amount of money that he's talking about, the silver coin is, uh, the, the way the story would read is basically one day's salary for each coin. And so he's saying that this woman has saved up for 10 days, all of the salary for each day that's there. And you've lost one-tenth of your salary. Now, who, who here uh, is okay, you, you, you get your, your paycheck in, and they forgot that to, to mark Saturday on your hours. You worked all eight of those hours, all 12 of those hours, and you didn't get it. Uh, who here does not call HR after that? Like, we're, we're going to go to accounting, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a talk, and we're going to figure out, okay, why did my time card not get read? And he's saying, like, put yourself in, in her shoes, she has 10, she loses one, and she's going to sweep diligently, seek diligently until she finds it. Verse 9, and when she has found it, this has got to be a little bizarre, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. I lost one dollar. Come on, guys, let's all get together and talk about it. And I'm sure the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes being rich and wealthy religious people were like, are you kidding me? 
It's just one coin. Why are we getting the friends together? The tax collector, though, oh, yeah. He's like, I, I call my friends together every time I rob somebody. This is good. Like, hey, guys, let's go get, let's go get Bill over there, and uh, he, he will pay taxes for anything. Come on, let's all go get him. And then they rejoice, and they have a good time. So the tax collectors would get it. But it is a little weird to lose money in your house and call your friends over and celebrate. And he says, just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, the sheep, uh, how, how does a sheep find itself lost? Like I said, it doesn't make a plan. It just, it just sort of wanders away aimlessly. It didn't plan it. A coin has no volition of its own. A way a coin gets lost is just circumstances happen. Or they have a three-year-old nearby that kind of swipes the, the nightstand. Like, uh, coins, that, that one coin... Uh, if, if you were to like interview the coin later, excuse me, uh, uh, quarter, uh, what what happened? Like, why were you lost? What were you things like? I wasn't thinking anything. I was minding my own business. I was in a wallet. I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was getting ready to be spent. And then boom, I don't know. I don't know. I can't even explain what happened. Just circumstances just overwhelmed me. And, and it hit pretty hard. Hit harder than the other nine. I tell you that. Those other nine, they were safe and sound in the wallet. Everything was good. But me, man, I was down here with the dust bunnies. Like it really, really kind of stunk where I was at. Those nine don't understand what I went through. But I didn't do this to myself. It just, it just happened. I wonder, uh, I wonder how much... COVID is like that. The, the last year, I don't just mean the disease, I mean the implications of our community. It hits harder for different people, doesn't it? I mean, some of us in here, we barely, we barely like saw a dent in our paycheck. We barely saw a change in our work schedule. Others in here have not stopped working for 12 months straight. And some of us in here have been three months without a job and it just hits different in each one. And nothing you did deserved the last year that came to you, yet circumstances hit the way that they hit. And Jesus is like, you know what? We celebrate when we find the one, even when the circumstances turn. And now, in the world of economy, he, he gets really, really personal. Because the first parable, the first third of the parable, is a shepherd who loses one of a hundred. Really, who cares? And the second third of the parable is someone who has $10 and loses one of them. I kind of get it, but it's not the biggest thing in the world. And now he talks about family. I don't know about you, but I would do just about anything for my family. I'll, I'll move heavens and earth. If one of you tries to hurt my child, I will become Jack Bauer all over you. You're like, you don't know. And so here's what he says. He says, verse 11, he says, and there was a man who had two sons. We went from one out of 100 to one out of 10, now one out of two. So even if you had 1,000 sons, I think each one's pretty valuable, but this guy, he only has two. And the younger of them said to his father, Father... He doesn't say, I like hanging out with you. Uh, he doesn't even say anything nice. He just goes straight to the business end of this. He says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Um, that's kind of rude, right? Dads, moms, can, can, I, can we get an agreement that if your kid comes to you, he's like, I'm 18 years old. Uh, you're going to die one day, and I want you to just go ahead and give me everything you were about to give me. I'll, just, I'll take that. I'll be on my way. I mean, this kid is looking at his dad, and he's saying, I'd rather your stuff than you. I want all your good things, dad, but I don't really care for you that much. I don't care about my older brother. I want to take this and I'm going to go. And uh, I was talking to a friend who uh, we were kind of bouncing ideas off of this. I will not give credit because I like to sound smart, critical. Um, but uh, 
you know, it's interesting when, when we think about wealth, we think of like our inheritance as kind of like a bank account, it's a number, it's a, it's a thing. They don't, they, didn't, they didn't do that. Like for them, it's property. It's physical property. For him to divide his wealth, you, you have dad who owns X amount of land, 100 acres, I don't know, 1,000 acres, whatever he owns. And when his son says, give me what is coming to me, and he does it, he divides his wealth, he's dividing like his land. Like there's going to be a new fence coming down the middle of his property where he used to be. It, it is literally going away right before his eyes. And everything that his family, his other son, you know, assume there's a wife somewhere, uh, would have enjoyed about this land is getting deteriorated right before his eyes. And the, and the youngest son just takes it. And, and he goes. Yesterday, um, I, have, I have two children. I have a, a now nine-year-old who just had a birthday and a three-year-old. And my three-year-old, he's been really like liking dad a lot lately. He's like, dad, you know, you need a blanket or something? I'm like, yeah, it's kind of cold. And he'll run and go grab a blanket and bring it to me. It's really awesome. Uh, I've got about three more hours of that until that fades. But uh, yesterday, I was wearing some jeans, old jeans, nothing new. And he says, dad, I really like your jeans. I was like, oh, thanks, thanks. I like your pants, dad. You have great pants. Thanks, son. That's awesome. He goes, he says, one day, when I'm older, you're going to die. And I'm going to get those pants. <laughs> I'm going to wear those pants. I kid you not. He doesn't know I'm teaching this. And I'm like, son, you have no idea. I will, you know. I, t- I told him, you know, I, I don't have to die for you to have my pants, man. I'm, I'm really getting kind of nervous being in my house. Kid like my pants. He's got good taste in clothes. And so that's, that's what this dad did. He, his kid just comes to him and says, give me everything. And so he does it. So it's verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. He gets, he gets out of there, and every kid knows this. Like, if, if, you, if you remember your teenage self, it doesn't matter where you lived, it was the worst place to live. You were ready to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to the Big D. I'm going to Dallas. I'm going to move to Paris. I'm going I'm to get out of here. Uh, I'm going to get far, far away. Every kid knows what this feeling's like, and that's what this kid does. He, he's like, I'm, I'm out. He moves to a far country, and there... He uh, re- responsibly invested his money, and uh, nothing bad happened. The end. No, no. It says in there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now that's really soft words, but uh, you know, reckless living. He's he's having a good time. He is as rich as he's as rich when he leaves there as his dad was in his, you know, 50s or 60s or whatever it would be. Imagine an eight-year-old with all of access to dad's wealth, he's going to Vegas and he's going to have a good time. Like he's going to have, he's going to be more popular than he's ever been. Uh, he's going to have more friends. He doesn't need to work. He doesn't need to do anything. He just squanders it on reckless living. And it says in verse 14, when he had spent everything, that didn't take long, (laughs) when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and began to be in need. Isn't it true that it's not at the beginning of our bad choices, but it's at the end of our bad choices that circumstances come back around, and then it's like, man, the famine came, the, the, the downturn came, the, the economy shifted, or that, that contract work left. It's like, it's like at the end of it, it's, it almost hits you when you're already down. He spent all of his wealth, and he looks like, I'm, I'm broke, but at least everything's okay. Nope, famine. Famine hits, and he doesn't have anything to protect himself. And it says, uh, and he began to be in need. Verse 15, so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, this rich, wealthy young guy who he lived on a property with his dad and his brother uh, who had a lot of wealth of his own, now is hiring himself out to do basically the job that he left behind. Uh, 
But it wasn't just any citizen, not just any country. It says, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, we're all Americans, and so, yeah, I like bacon. That's good. Um, the scribes and the Pharisees just lost it right there. This, this just went from a nice story about a dad and son to like some kind of Freddy Krueger moment. It is a horror story because Jews and pigs, they're not getting along. And the idea that a wealthy young man being sent off, leaving all of his wealth, leaving, losing everything, and then being sent to live and work at the pigs. Oh man, someone, someone's probably throwing up in the corner. The, the sinners and the, and the uh, tax collectors, probably not the tax collectors, but sinners are like, I could see myself getting, getting to that point. But everybody who's listening to this at this point is like, oh my gosh, could it get any worse? It can't get any worse for this kid. It says, um, He's out there feeding the pigs, verse 16, and, and he was longing even to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Uh, I, I don't know anything about raising sheep, but there was a period of time where I raised some pigs. I had some pigs and a, a cow, uh, a couple of horses. Uh, you, you, feed, you feed the cows like oats and alfalfa. I don't even know what that is. I think it's a kid, but anyhow, we fed them something called alfalfa. Uh, you, feed, you feed horses oats, and you give them like the big brick, and they, uh, cows will lick that brick too. Uh, I don't know what's good about the brick, but they love the brick. Pigs, they don't like any of those clean things. You know what you feed pigs? Whatever you've got laying around. If it's rotten, if it's like it's time to clean out the fridge, this is not good for human consumption, go feed it to Dolly. Like you just put it in a big bucket and you pour it out and the pig eats it. They love it. They just, we call it slop. Uh, he calls it pods. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what they fed the pigs, but it's disgusting. And here's a guy, he's gotten so far down, he's looking at it, he's like, mm, a little bit of ketchup, some Heinz 57. I can turn that into something. I tell you what, this is, this is a guy who uh, is really, really down. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, this idea that, that Jesus inserts in the story is that this guy looks around and he had like an aha moment. Uh, anybody in here lived long enough and made enough bad choices and faced the consequences of the choices where you're like, there it is. And then all of a sudden you see with clarity the next few steps. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. I made terrible choices. Okay, so uh, that's what this guy did. He, he comes to himself. And he starts thinking. He starts thinking back at home. He starts thinking about his dad. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with my hunger. He says, I will rise. I'll go to my dad. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Um, when, I, when I was in, uh, a kid in uh, uh, middle school mostly, I got in trouble a lot, and I got sent to the principal's office a lot. Uh, I knew the way. I knew the back way. I knew the long way. I knew how to get there without other teachers seeing that I was going. I knew a lot about getting to the principal's office. And every time I'm sent to the principal's office, maybe you do this when you're in trouble, um, I come up with a speech ahead of time. I'm going to come up with the perfect like string of words that gets me either out of trouble or in the least amount of trouble. Um, anybody? Okay, you're driving down the road. You're going a little bit faster than you should. You see the red and blue lights behind you. You don't wait until that cop knocks on the window to know what you're going to say. You have a story. I'm going to Grandma's house, and she had a cookie emergency, and it's, I'll give you a cookie. No, that's, that's a felony. Don't bribe the police officers. Um, but we plan speeches, and Jesus, this is a made-up story, and he adds so much humanity to the story. This kid is in such a bad spot that he starts planning the speech that he has for his dad, and he's worked it out. He says, I'm going to go to dad. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to say, dad, I, I've messed up. You treat your servants better than, than I've been treated, and I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, but I'll be your servant. Please, I'm a good servant. I have, I have job references. Uh, I, I just, I'm so sorry. 
uh, you probably can't forgive me, but will you take me back? I'll work for you. So he plans this speech. And it says in verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does dad feel at this moment? His father saw him and said, there's that kid that took all my wealth. Father saw him and thought, I can't stand that guy who's coming down my road. No. Now, every parent in here who knows that their child has made terrible decisions thinks about this moment right here and thinks, I still love my kid. I still want what's good for my kid. And so this father, he sees his kid a long way off and it says that he had compassion on him and he ran and he hugged him and he kissed him. And so the son, I, I just imagine dad like on the porch, he's like rocking and he looks up and there's the son walking down the dirt road and he runs to him and he gives him a hug, he gives him a kiss. And it says, and the son said to him, he starts going through the speech, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He, go, he has the whole speech worked out. He starts giving it. And it says, but the father said to his servants, he, the dad doesn't even wait for him to finish the speech. It says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat. They're having a barbecue, guys. This kid who smells like pig, who is trying to get hired back to dad's house, gets a barbecue, clean clothes, a robe, a ring, and he's telling the servants, do what I say because this kid, he's back. Here's what he says. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. You know, the, in the three-part story, you have the sheep, and it ends with one out of a hundred. Let's all celebrate, get together. And I kind of think, like, did they really do that? I don't know. Um, and then you have the, the lady who loses the one coin, one out of ten, and she finds it, and she gets everybody together, all her friends together, and she says, let's celebrate. I try to put myself in that story. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I celebrate that way. But when Jesus talks about the kid, I, I see humanity. I see our circumstances all over this. And when he says, we're having a party, I get that. I get that. The idea of a, a, a son, no matter how many years uh, removed they are from the string of decisions, to see him, he's still alive. He's back. I get to hug my kid again. I love him. We're throwing a party and we're getting the bet, like we're getting into the deep freeze, getting the fatted calf out. It's going to be delicious, guys. We're going to have a great, great party. Each time Jesus goes through that three-part story, the, you remember the audience is sinners and tax collectors versus Pharisees and scribes. And each time he tells the story, they are trying on different characters in the story. The, the, the tax collectors and sinners, they have to be trying on which one of the sheep, the 99 or the one? The one, yeah, they, they feel that. And the, and the Pharisees, the churchy people, they're trying on the 99. They're like, oh, we never left. When he gets to the coin, uh, you have the one who goes missing and the nine who stay in the wallet. And uh, the, the sinners and the tax collectors, they're trying it on. They're like, oh, which one do I feel like? I feel like the one. That's what I feel like. I feel like, you know, just circumstances happen, life happen, whatever. And the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the churchy people, they're like, yeah, I've always been where I'm supposed to be. I've always done what I'm supposed to do. I'm that one. And when he gets to the two sons, the Pharisees and the tax collector, or, wow, that's a weird combination. The Pharisees and the scribes, which one of the two sons do they try on? The younger son who squandered everything or the older son who has not been mentioned at all in this story? The churchy people try on the older son. But those tax collectors and sinners, they hear and feel and just 
immensely know what it's like just by the smell of them that people look down on them. Even if it was their own decision, that kid chose everything he did. He had no reason to leave, and yet he left. And those sinners and tax collectors are saying, are you kidding me? The Father will receive us back despite what we've done with our lives, despite what we've done with what he's given us. The Father will receive us back. That is nuts. And the Pharisees, the tax collectors, and the churchy people, the religious people are off to the side, and nobody said anything about their character yet. And this is the only part of the three-part parable where Jesus turns and looks straight at them because he keeps going right here. Verse 25, now his older son, and he turns and he looks at the religious people. His older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. That sounds nice, huh? You're out there working, you're sweating, you're coming home, and there's a party. Disco balls going, lights are flashing, fattened calves are running. Meh, they're just going in. Like, it was a good, good day. Smells like barbecue. Mm, that sounds nice. So there's music and there's dancing. And he called one of the servants. And he's like, hey, I imagine one of the servants was like dragging one of the calves. But he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, the servant says, your brother, he's come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. What is that brother thinking right now? You, you mean that, that kid? Little brother? Little, little baby? Whatever? The one who took all of our wealth and ran away and squandered it? Are you kidding me? He's back. It says in verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. Uh, every, everybody who's ever threw a temper tantrum, which is nobody in here, obviously, but your kids do, uh, you know what this scene looks like. There's a party happening in the house, and the oldest son, he's, running, he's back on the porch, and he's just like making a big scene about it, and he refused to go in. I'm not going in that party. I don't care how much fun they're having. I don't care what it smells like. I'll sit out. I'll starve to death. I don't care. I'm just going to sit right here on this porch. He had no sense of going to the Father. He had no sense of talking to him. But what, what happens instead? It says... Um, in verse 27, he, uh, excuse me, verse 26, and he, and he called one of the servants, um, in the wrong spot, verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in. And it says his father came out and entreated him. His father came out and uh, that word entreated means like begged or pleaded with him. Uh, hey man, there's something good going on here. Let me, let's have a talk. What's going on? Why are you out here right now? You're the only person right here missing the party. You're the only person not enjoying what's going on right now. The religious people. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, yeah, that's, that's the first time my kid says, dad, you listen here. Uh, no, son. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he says, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. I've been here the whole time. I do everything you say. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. This is, this is the most spoiled sounding thing I've ever heard. But when this, not when my brother came back, he says, but when this son of yours, he's like, I'm not even going to claim that stinky pig smelling little brother of mine. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? It's almost like, are you kidding me? And then verse 31, it says, the, the father, he says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead. I'm not celebrating because of what he's done. I'm not celebrating because of what he did to you or what he even did to me or to this family. I'm not celebrating because of the reputation he earned. He was dead, son. We didn't know where he was, son. And he's back. He's alive. He was lost and is found. Period. End of parable. 
This is the most ridiculous story in, in all of Scripture. Because Jesus in this crowd doesn't turn to each person and say, and here's what you should learn from this story. He goes on to talk about other things after this. He talks about managers and other things. He talks about money. And like you have chapters and chapters ahead of this. And Jesus never like puts the pen down and lets people know, well, what am I supposed to know from that story? Because they all knew in that room. Each character in that room who was listening to the parables as they were trying on each of the different parts, the sheep, the coin, the sons, they put themselves there. And Jesus says at the end of it all, the celebration is worth it, not because of what has happened, but because of what I'm doing. He is alive. We're going to celebrate. So here's what I want to ask. On Easter, we're finishing up, or I'm about to send you out. I just want to ask you, like, which, which one of these characters do we try on? Do we, do we see ourselves and do we feel like? And is there any hope for us at all? Is there anything we can take away from this? We celebrate today because Jesus is risen, which means the power to celebrate, the power to make the party happen is there. But which character are we and do we deserve the party? Or do we, do we disqualify ourselves based on rules we've made up or rules that the religious people have told us all the times that they look down on us, all the times that they kind of snub their nose at me for not following along and fitting into whatever mold they have? Or do we trust who the Father says we are because he has the power to do so? The sheep, out of ignorance, walked away from the shepherd didn't know what he was doing, didn't know what he was getting into, and one day looked up and was in more danger than he ever knew. I bet the sheep never even knew that a wolf was prowling and just about to devour him. I bet the sheep never looked up and thought, man, I really need to get back home because golly, this is scary. The sheep just didn't know and in ignorance and naivety walked farther and farther away from the security of the shepherd. And one day the sheep hears a crunch and it's not the predator that should have been there. It's the crunch of the shepherd cracking the stick as he comes to pick him up and says, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to take you back. And what, what, what happens when the shepherd takes him back? Everybody celebrates because one is rescued. You feel like right now that you're that sheep that you didn't make any big life-changing plans. You just slowly, one step after another, especially during COVID. Good night. It's so easy to drift away from good habits. I've put on like 10 pounds. I've drifted away from all kinds of habits. I've drifted away from my pant size. <laughs> we drift all through life because we're not careful and we're naive and sometimes we're ignorant. The father says that he comes and he chases after us and there's great celebration when we return. He will seek you and he'll find you. And maybe, maybe we're like the coin. You have, you have the one coin. Nothing that coin did deserved to be lost under the table yet. Just circumstances hit. Life has hit so many friends. I, we have friends right now uh, who are in the hospital. They're sick. Some sick with COVID, some sick with other things. And it's like, you didn't deserve any of that. What, what, it's Easter. We should be with friends. We should be with family. And you didn't, you didn't deserve that. So much of this life that can dish out the, the wickedness and the evil of the life, it hits hard and you didn't deserve it. And nobody looks at you except the religious people, right? <laughs> religious people look at, well, listen, you know what? If you had a better tie and wingtip shoes, that probably wouldn't have happened to you. No, that's false. The world hits hard. And despite the circumstances that that coin found itself in, there was celebration when the coin was found. If you find yourself, not because of a choice you made or because of naivety, just circumstances hit, I promise you the Father celebrates when you return to him. I promise. In fact, even today, I argue that he's seeking some of us out. 
maybe not in this room even. Maybe it's just out there and it's just like you see it all over. It's written everywhere that, you know, this conversation happens in this way and this person brings up this thing. And before you know it, all you're thinking about is what have I done? Where am I? Where is my hope? Jesus Christ is your hope. Or maybe you feel like that second son and you've been working up some kind of speech to talk to the father and you're like, listen, I used to be in church. My parents didn't do anything wrong. I'm just a weird kid who made all the terrible decisions and I ran off and I get it. Nobody loves me. I don't deserve any of the love. I don't, I don't, I get it. I earned this. I made every mistake knowing I was making the mistake because I thought that was going to be better and I'm getting older now and I've come to my senses like that prodigal son did and I just, I, I just don't think the father will take me back if I had to be honest with you. That's what makes the story so ridiculous. The father didn't even wait for the son to finish the speech that he had pre-crafted. The first step towards the father, the father leapt up and ran to his son and hugged him and kissed him and said, you're mine again. You're alive again. Let's all celebrate. And then the fourth character, the religious people. There's a, there's a large group, and Carpenter's always really good about not being about this, but there's a large group of religious people in our world that they see new life happen and they just kind of grumble. Yeah, man, you know, that, you have any idea how bad of a person that was? You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anybody in here. Um, if, if, if you're struggling with those who are turning to Christ and finding hope, you're missing out on the party. You're just sitting out on the porch while the party is happening because inside the party is this. Those who were dead are alive again and there's hope because Jesus has risen. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday because Jesus literally beat death. And as a result, no matter where we find ourselves, he's willing to take us back. Let me pray for you. Uh, I hope that you and your family have a great Easter. Um, we celebrate uh, together life uh, in our community, and in our families. Father, uh, this morning we give you all the glory and we thank you for your word that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, God, that you are powerful enough to save and you're willing to save. And it's ridiculous, it's scandalous. We read that, we see it. But Father, don't let us disqualify ourselves from your grace because we don't think you will. Um, we have so much reason to be hopeful. We have so much reason to believe and trust in your name and to believe and trust that you will save and correct so many wrong things in our world. And I pray, Father, that Carpenter's Way would be full of people that are full of hope and would see the celebration for what it is and will join with you in the party that you're creating as you bring those of us who are dead back to life. I pray, Father, that the resurrection of Christ and his power that we celebrate would be alive and well in our community because you just, you just saturate our community with people finding hope in you. We love you and we trust you in these things. We thank you for your son and we pray in his name. Amen.